0: We uh, are making good progress on the uh, restoration, not the restoration, but the development and improvement of uh, Liberty Lane out here from Yellowstone into our gate. Uh, we put a lot of fill material in and are getting it ready. So uh, we got a weather hold up now. Uh, we can't do the final grading and crowning of the road and placing it where we want it until it dries up. I was down there just yesterday doing a little more straighten-up work, and uh, tires on the New Holland were still going down about eight inches into the mud over on the kind of to the left side. So that has to firm up before we can get back in there with the equipment to to finish the road. <clears throat> but when we can get that grading done then we can put the topping on and and have it the way we want it. There was a track hoe in this last week that uh, opened up a drainage ditch down, huge ditch that's been eroded there, and now the water can all go into that easily and keep it drained, so that should help a great deal. So I do appreciate those of you who could and did help uh, in helping finance that. It's a fairly expensive little project, but... The neighbors down there at our gate are doing quite a bit, too, on it because it was their front yard that was the worst. <laughs> the lakes and ponds and people driving up, way up into their yard to try to get around the holes. So uh we got that filled in using dirt from our place here. And uh, he'll cover it now and put his fence up, and that'll keep him out of his bedroom. Uh People... <laughs> He said sometimes we feared they were going to drive right up into the house to get around the mud. But at any rate, hopefully we'll get that done here. It's scheduled, I guess, to rain a little bit tonight, according to the forecasters. I don't know how much, but clear up by tomorrow. So I hope it doesn't set us back too far. We've got the equipment all reserved and ready to do it just as soon as we can. So I've been I've been wanting to do that project for a lot of years, and we just never got around to it, or thought we had the money, or whatever. But I, I it's long overdue. <clears throat> we got the uh, Feast of Dedication coming up, starts next weekend. Uh, goes from the 20th to the 28th. We in the church over the years did not keep the Feast of Dedication, but. Uh, When you read the book of John, it shows Christ was there and walking and talking at the time of the Feast of Dedication during the winter time. So it's now, will be winter, uh, starting the 21st of this month, and the Feast of Dedication comes in the winter. Of course, it has to do with the dedication of the temple of God and we'll get into the temple of God today in the sermon as well. So uh, Feast of Dedication coming up 20th to the 28th. That starts on a Friday night, so we'd like to get together at 6.30 and sing some hymns and praise to God uh, next Friday at 6.30. It doesn't really tell us how to keep the Feast of Dedication, except they were joyful and singing hymns to God. So let's kind of the way we've started this out and feeling our way to see what God might or might not want. And uh, I'm sure when we get down to the true establishment of the latter temple, there will be a whole lot more to rejoice about. So we're looking in one sense prophetically toward what is soon to happen uh, with the gathering of the people to be the latter temple as well as the temple itself physically that will be built. So feast of dedication is not just a historical thing that you look back. It's something that is straight in front of us and will happen soon. And I'm already joyful that this is getting very, very close. There is a sign-up sheet here, both front and back, for all to get all eight days in. For snacks, you might bring, so we can we can have some snacks and sing some hymns to God. And be thankful for the things that He's shown us and what will happen here soon, so starting Friday night. Now, I've had, it's turning into a pretty long series in Isaiah 40 through, uh, well, the beginning of 55 at least last week, and I want to stop it right there as far as the story in Isaiah is concerned. It does move on forward and tell some more things that are going to happen in the book of Isaiah, but uh, through 54, beginning of 55, uh, brings us up to where I want to change to today, because this series is about the end-time work of God. And if you'll remember way back some weeks ago, we talked about how God has done various works at various times, from Adam on down, Enoch, Noah, and various works that have been accomplished, the early New Testament church. And others, but uh, he has done many different works in preparation for and looking to the end of his final work, his final work being the mystery of God revealed in the coming resurrection of the dead and the glorification that he will give the 144,000 who are the bride of Christ. So ultimately, his purpose is to make man into God, as we well know. And there are several works that have been done. Mankind mostly has avoided God and followed Satan. But there have been various times through the 6,000 years almost of history that God has worked through someone to do a work toward his kingdom. Uh, Abraham, as uh, the beginning of Israel through Jacob, began a work there, spiritually speaking, that is carrying through. So, what I was leading up to is what is the final work. I think we've come to realize quite clearly by now that Herbert Armstrong did not do the final work. Uh, we're still around over three decades later, and the work is not done And we find, though, in the scriptures, a description of what the work is and some footnotes about his work and what he did do. Uh, But then we find that there is a whole different work that has to be done, completely separate from Worldwide Church of God, uh, which died, which is dead, which is gone. And now there are people around who still. Subscribe to the things that we were taught there, and some of them are still being faithful. Now, there was a story through Isaiah 40 through 55, and the elements of the end time work are described there. I want today to get more specific about it, and let's see that in the minor prophets there are scriptures very similar to what Isaiah wrote that have to do with the things that Isaiah was talking about. Now, let's go to Micah 4, because this this picks up with where we really started in Isaiah 40. Uh, I want to go to chapter 3 of Micah first, toward the end of it. Uh Verse 10, it says they build up Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. So things were not done completely right and worldwide. Zion is the church. Jerusalem is the church. Hebrews 12, 22 and 23, as we very well know, they refer to that. So when we find them in prophecy, that's being talked about. It says the heads thereof judge for reward and the priests thereof teach for hire and the prophets thereof divide for money. I had one of the ministers I happened to share a flight with one time from Anchorage to Seattle and I asked him with the breakup of Worldwide Going On what he was going to do. And he says, well, I've always kind of despised Rod Meredith and I don't agree with him and I don't like his preaching but uh, I'm going to go to work for him. I said, well, why? He says he offered me a paycheck and I have to take care of my family. So, I lost what respect I did have for him pretty much right there in that conversation as we sat on the plane. Because I thought, I told him, in fact, I came right out and said, that makes you a hireling. And he didn't fight me over it. Didn't say much. I think he knew it, but he didn't want to get into it. But I tend to be a little open sometimes in the things that I say you may have noticed. Anyway, we weren't there for the right reasons, doing the right things that God wanted done, and therefore he spewed it apart. And he says in verse 12, Therefore shall Zion, for your sake, be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountains of the house as the high places of the forest. So, knocked down, destroyed, and that's exactly what happened to it. Now, these could go back to the scriptures in Isaiah and Jeremiah and so on where it talks about how Jerusalem, the city, would be destroyed and be desolate for many generations and have become heaps and its foundations even removed. But this is an end time prophecy here in Micah and I think that the application is first to the church as are all the prophecies. So we've seen in our lifetime already Zion and Jerusalem, the church, plowed down, turned under, and become just heaps, piles. Now verse four, or chapter four, it says, But in the last days, so this is in, indeed an end time prophecy, it shall come to pass that the mountains of the house of the eternal shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow to it. You remember Isaiah 40 says, Speak comfortably to His people that the time of their trouble was ending, and that they were to be comforted and strengthened, and that they would receive blessings. Uh, he said, Prepare a way for Christ and His people to come into the wilderness. He says, the people of the earth are as grass, but speak comfortably to his people and give them a message of hope and cheer and blessing. And that's what we saw all the way through Isaiah 40 through 55 55 we went. Anyway, it starts out chapter 4 like that, and then it describes worldwide a little bit. He says, we've been afflicted and driven out. And God has done the afflicting in verse uh, 6. Well, before that, it even talks about uh, not learning war anymore. And every man will sit under his vine and fig tree, and none shall make them afraid. That's in verse 4. Now, if you go to Zechariah 3, you'll see that during the time that God begins, begins to raise up the leadership for the end-time work, that everyone will sit under his own vine and fig tree. So here we have established the last days, and during these last days, everyone will have his vine and fig tree. Tremendous blessings will come. Uh, Then he says that he will gather, verse 6, the ones that I have afflicted, and will make her that halted, or was crippled, a remnant. And her that was cast far off, a strong people, and the Eternal shall reign over them in Mount Zion, from henceforth, even forever. Now, once he gathers his people to Zion, they're going to be protected, and he's going to be with them throughout all that is happening here in the last days. And then, once he marries his bride, when he returns, she'll be with him. So, Once he regathers the church, he's going to be with that church from then on. So this isn't talking specifically of the millennium. It's talking about this gathering ahead of time. I will make her that halted, or was crippled, a remnant. And you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come even the first dominion, The kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. So Christ tells us there in Zechariah 2 that he is going to come suddenly to his temple. That's in Malachi. Suddenly to his temple. And that he will defend it and protect it and be a wall of fire around it and dwell with us. Uh, At the end I think it's chapter 1 of Zechariah. So... It will be given the first dominion. Christ will be there with her ruling through human beings that he has set up to do the final work and bring uh, the conditions whereby Christ can then return and resurrect his bride. So he says, why do you cry out? Uh, Is there no king in you? Is your counselor perished? Herbert Armstrong was our leader. He's perished, and we've been crying out ever since. We don't have the leadership that we want throughout the church. For pangs have taken you as a woman in travail. He uses that analogy throughout the prophecies that we're like somebody in labor to bring forth, and we can't do anything. One place in Isaiah says, You bring forth wind. You can't, you bring to the birth, and that's all you do. But then he tells us okay, the pain's on you, be in pain. Oh, (laughs) we're ordered to be in pain. Okay? And labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. You have to push it. Remember that, girls? You had to push it. And when you pushed, eventually the pushing helped, and the baby was born. So God tells us we are to be here, we are to be going through pain, and we have been, as a scattered, feeble folk, but to push, to do what we can, and labor to bring forth. You shall go forth out of the city, and you shall dwell in the field. And you shall go even to Babylon, not clear out of the country, but out in the wilderness. There shall you be delivered. There the Eternal shall redeem you from the hand of your enemies. So, part of this, he says, is getting away from where we have been in the cities and so on of Babylon, To get out into the field, into the wilderness, and there is where God is going to do His work of deliverance. So, Isaiah 41 told us, did it not, He would plant seven trees or churches in the wilderness. Uh, So, that fits with what He's saying right here. So, the work that is to be done is going to be done in the wilderness says he'll protect us. Now I'm going to go on. Here in the book of Nahum, I'm just going to hit just a few highlights here for a moment. The book of Nahum is really about the Chaldean or the Assyrian or the northern army coming to destroy this nation uh, here at the end time. And that's the setting of the book of Nahum, okay? But let's go to verse 15 of chapter 1. Behold upon the mountains the feet of him that brings good tidings, that publishes peace, O Judah. Keep your solemn feasts, perform your vows, for the wicked shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. Now that's what we read in Isaiah 40, there about verses 7, 8, 9, 10, where it says we're going to have worldwide chaos, the grass will wither, But he says, bring good tidings, uh, and it talks about the feet of those, or he who would bring the good tidings to Jerusalem, and that we're to serve God, and he will use us, he'll take care of us. So, Nahum is about the destruction at the end of this age to this nation, just as Micah is, and he says, go to the wilderness, I'll protect you there. Here he says, bring the good tidings at the time of the gathering of the army to destroy. So we're seeing the elements of Isaiah 40 and on through Micah. We're seeing a little bit here in Nahum. uh, Even into the book of Habakkuk, this is a build-up to something. Habakkuk is about the northern army coming and destroying. He says in verse 5 of chapter 1, Behold, you among the heathen, regard and and wonder marvelously, marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it be told you. For oh, I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, and they're going to do destruction. But we go on down to chapter 2, And he says, I'm going to stand on my watch and watch to see how this develops and what's happening. And God told him in verse 2 to write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that reads it. In other words, it's getting very close. You don't need to be in sitting down or walking mode. You need to be in mode of running. We find that also in uh, Zechariah 2. Where it says to tell this young tell this story and the young man that is given to to run, because time is getting near. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. So he says it's very close. Now you read the same thing in Ezekiel seven. I'll get to that <laughs> not today. But when we get to the timing of all this uh, toward the end of this series, verse 4 Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. So, terrible times are coming. We're watching right now the a tremendous increase in earthquakes and volcanic activity. We're watching crops being destroyed all over the world, and famine is almost upon us. We're seeing nation rising against nation, and we're watching, if you're paying attention, nations rising against America. Uh, Nations all over the world are doing everything they can to get rid of the dollar. Uh, So we do not have any preeminence anymore before they destroy us. So this thing is upon us. Chapter. uh, Well, let me let me get end of Habakkuk as well. He says, "Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vine, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. So the famine is coming." But on a spiritual level, this scripture is pretty much quoted. In the book of Haggai, the second chapter of Haggai, where it says that the fruits haven't been established, that these trees haven't produced. And then he says, From the ninth and twenty fourth day, I will bless you. In other words, the fruits are going to begin to show. So here in the end of Haggai, he says, This hasn't happened yet. So I'll just sit here on my watch, I'll rejoice in the eternal. And will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And he will make my feet like deer feet. And he will make me to walk upon my high places. So he says, in spite of all that's going on in the world. And the war that's about to hit. We're about to get into Civil War too. Watch the situation in Virginia very closely. Because they're trying to push it right there. And... It is a very dangerous situation that is developing between the patriots and the communists, the democrats. Then in Zephaniah, he talks about how God is going to destroy the gods of the land and that a financial crash is coming. And if you've been watching the financial and economic world, the world is already in a recession. It's getting worse and worse, and there is a crash coming. God foretells that right here. Then in chapter 2 he tells the people who have not been desired to gather themselves together and obey God, and maybe he'll hide you in the days of his anger. So he says there is a way out of this crash and of this occupation that is coming. Zephaniah then talks about how the military takeover will occur, end of chapter 2 and 3. And he says he'll, in verse 12 of 3, I'll leave in the midst of you an afflicted and poor people, and they'll trust in the name of the Eternal. So a few are going to be protected out of it. Now let's go to verse 14. Sing, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O Israel! Be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem! Now remember how we read in, at the end of Isaiah 52, And in Isaiah 54, how we were to sing and rejoice that God was going to turn things around. There in 52, he says, we're to sing and rejoice when God turns things around for Zion and begins to bless and turn his face to us. Then it shows the Passover in chapter 53, and then the gathering of the people in chapter 54. It makes me wonder if the gathering doesn't come after Passover in which year this occurs uh, because you have that inset chapter there. So, he's talking about the return of blessings in Isaiah 52 and 54 and to sing and rejoice. Well, we have the same thing right here. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Eternal has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. Our enemies, our rebels, are going to go away. The King of Israel, even the Eternal, is in the midst of you. You shall not see evil anymore. Now what's the first thing said in Isaiah 40 when it starts describing this end time work after Herbert Armstrong ends his in Ezekiel, I mean in Isaiah 39? Comfort the people and tell them they're going to receive double blessing for all the trouble we have been through. And to comfort them and tell them that their, their warfare is accomplished. They'll no longer have to fight and won't see any more evil. Well, he's repeating this right here in verse 15 of Zephaniah. In that day it be, shall be said to Jerusalem, Don't fear, and to Zion, Let not your hands be slack. So, it's a time when God says, I will protect you, therefore, don't fear, in a time of working, right? If your hands are not slack, that means they're busy. You have a work to do. Did we not read there in Isaiah about chapter 43 or 42 or 43, uh, where it said there that the carpenter will encourage the blacksmith and so on. So, it's construction work that's being done. Uh, If the laborers who are building encourage one another. So here it says, don't let your hands be slack, that is, be working. Well, the story back there about the end time work, which gives an overview of it, shows that they're building something. The eternal, your God, in the midst of you, is mighty. He will save, he will rejoice over you with joy. He will rest in His love. He will joy over you with singing. Don't you look forward to when this happens? When God, instead of turning His face from us and getting over having puked us out, is going to turn it back and sing songs about us Himself. He's going to be so happy and so excited. Hard to believe it's talking about us, isn't it? <laughs> Well, who are we? And yet those who will persevere and will serve God, he is going to be so happy with them. I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly who are of you, to whom the reproach of it was a burden. Now, hasn't it been a reproach and a burden to see the church completely destroyed and taken apart and the main body of it dying? And we read there in Isaiah about 44 how he'll gather his people again from the north, south, east, and west to do a work. And he goes on to describe that at the end of chapter 44 and 45, partly what that work will be. So he's going to gather, and the reproach will be removed, and blessing will come. Behold. At that time, I will undo all that afflict you. I'm going to undo them, get rid of them. And I will save her that limps and gather her that was driven out. And I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. So they've been in different lands, north, south, east, and west. They'll be brought back together together. And their shame will go away. At that time will I bring you again. Now that's the exact words it uses in Isaiah 52 about verse 8 or 9. When he brings back Zion, then will the leaders see eye to eye. Same phraseology that Isaiah uses. I will make you a name and a praise among all the people of the earth. He's going to exalt Zion. And her people will be the light of the earth, the light of the world, light of the Gentiles, gathered together. When I turn back your captivity before your eyes, says the Eternal. So we've been captives of Babylon. He tells us to get out of Babylon, go dwell in the wilderness, in the Zion and Jerusalem area, and there we will be blessed. Now, this is all leading up to, let's say, the second task of the church, and that's introduced in Haggai. Now, the first task is to send out a message of comfort and to prepare a place or prepare a way in the desert for his people to come. That's job one. Job two, then, involves the work that he tells us of doing some building there in Isaiah, encouraging one another, and not letting our hands be slack. So let's take another quick look at Haggai here. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Eternal by Haggai, and he brought it first of all to Zerubbabel and to Joshua. Joshua because they are, as we go through uh, Haggai and Zechariah and Revelation 11, clearly the leaders of the end-time work. Herbert Armstrong and Ted may have been minor types of that, but it wasn't the final work. (coughs) They only did a limited amount of work. But here we're talking about the last work, the latter temple. And it's at the end of 70 years. Now, we'll get into that again. I've gone over it before, but I think we have just ended in 2017, a 70-year period uh, that Jeremiah prophesies of. He prophesied to ancient Judah about how they would be 70 years in captivity in Babylon, then how they would be released uh, when Cyrus took over from uh, the king of Babylon. Now, it was a couple of years after the Seventy ended before this message went out. It was in the second year of Darius. So the Seventy had ended, but there was a period of time in there before they were to go and build a temple. Now, Daniel had understood from Jeremiah that it was to be a 70-year captivity. That's very clear. He said so. If we go to Jeremiah, we see a 70-year captivity. I believe that started in 1947 in the fall because Herbert Armstrong started the college and its goal and purpose was to go out into Babylon and make uh, baptize and make members many people. Many were being called or would be called under him. But he had to have support. So from 1947, when the college began, he said, go out and build houses, church houses. He said, go out and build your own houses even, because this is going to be a long work. Now, if you count 70 years from there, you come to 2017, which ties in some other things. And I'm not going there any further than just that comment right here at the moment. But the reason I make that comment is if that indeed from 47 to 2017 was the 70 years of end time prophecy, then here this message comes in the second year of the king of Persia and is laid out, but it doesn't really begin until after that because once this order was given, it took some time to get ready to actually do the building, right? If you go to the book of Ezra and to Nehemiah, you will see there that at the end of the 70 years, they were uh, told to build the temple. And it took some time to get there and to get things going. And Haggai discusses it here because Haggai and Zechariah were involved there with Zerubbabel and Joshua, in the building of the first temple. So the story here in Haggai, Zechariah, and in Ezra and Nehemiah are of that time then, but they come forward to today. And many of the things that happen in Ezra and Nehemiah are going to recur here at the end. Haggai and Zechariah are definitely end-time prophetic books, specifically. (coughs) So, the second year of Darius has to equate to something here at the end, is the point. Okay, so this message came a couple of years after Babylon was destroyed. They were released after 70 years, but it took some time before these events came to pass, and God caused the temple to be built. So, here's the message that came to Zerubbabel, and to Joshua. Now, (coughs) the book of Zechariah began to be written right in the middle of the book of Haggai, historically. So, its inception, its beginning was during this story that we're in right now, in Haggai. And the book of Zechariah talks about Joshua and Zerubbabel being the two witnesses of Revelation 11, there in the end of chapter 4. So, this is written directly to the leaders of the end-time church, and we'll see to the people who are with them. Now, didn't he say he would gather them in verse 18 of the last chapter of Zephaniah, and how he would gather there in Isaiah 44, from north, south, east, and west, he would gather people. So here he addresses the leaders and says, Thus speaks Eternal of Hosts, saying, This people say the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. That will be the posture, the belief of most of the church. Now they think, maybe, most of them I think, still, that the Jews are going to build a temple in a false Jerusalem in the Middle East but they don't see any reason for them to be building a temple. Christ fellowshipped the Jews in Matthew 23 and said, I'm not going to have anything to do with you until you accept those that I've sent, the apostles of the New Testament church. So he is not going to build his temple through the Jews, the physical Jews. He's going to build it through the spiritual Jews, And he's told us right here that it's through the two witnesses and those who will be drawn to them. Okay? So most of the church would say it isn't time to build the temple. Now, I've made the argument many times that you can't find anybody much, even in the Protestant world, and certainly in what was the church of God, who say you shouldn't build the spiritual temple. They all recognize that our body is the temple of the Spirit and that the church has to be built. Nobody will tell you who's any kind of a so-called Christian at all that we shouldn't be building a spiritual temple. But almost to a man, they'll tell you we don't need to be building a physical temple. So that's the one that God is talking about here is the physical one. Because that's the one they say don't build. is not time to do that. Then came the word of the Eternal by Haggai, saying, Is it time for you to dwell in your nice homes, and this house is waste? Now his people are scattered all over the world, and dwelling in their nice homes. And in America, we're at the height of the greatest prosperity ever known on earth, and living in the McMansions and, and nice homes, uh, at least compared to the rest of the world and compared to the past. I mean, even if you're living in an 800-square-foot tract home in this nation, you're a whole lot better off than most of the people on earth today. So that's a fine home by comparison. And I've traveled to a lot of places on earth, and I know I'm speaking the truth. I've seen a lot of people in Mexico, and a lot of people in South Africa, and in Kenya, and other places, living in washer and dryer boxes that they put together. So, when he says, you're nice, homes, let's understand he's talking mostly to the people of this nation here. Now, this is going the other way as we get more and more homeless, but this has been the wealthiest nation on the face of the earth. Did he not say in Genesis 49 that Ephraim would grow up over the walls and have blessings double anybody. Well, that's speaking of this nation of his, of Ephraim today. So he says, Is it time for you to stay in your house, in the city? No. In Micah 4, he says, Leave it. Get out into the wilderness. There I will protect you and take care of you. This is... Becoming imminent, I believe, and we'll talk about that before we're done with the series. Now, therefore, thus says the Eternal of Hosts, consider your ways. Consider your thinking. What are you thinking? <clears throat> All right, you've sown much and bring in little. You eat, but have not enough. You drink, you're not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earns wages earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. Do you ever compare your gross income with your take-home pay and how much they take out and how little it buys and how it's getting worse and worse by the day and week and month right now? Says you you can't get really wealthy for the most part as a people. Yeah, there are some people who are very, very wealthy, the elite, so-called. <clears throat> but generally speaking, the middle class is being destroyed. And you're having less and less return on your work. That's our nation today. Thus says the Eternal of hosts, Consider your ways. What you're doing isn't gaining you anything, in other words. Now here's what he says to do. Thus says the Eternal of hosts, <coughs> Consider your ways, go up to the mountain, and bring wood, and build the house. Which house? The temple. His house, God's house. That's the one that everybody says doesn't need to be built, and we're out here busy trying to make a living, and we're not doing too well at it. So he says, this is the time that it's time to build the temple of God, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, says the Eternal. You looked for much, and it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why? Because of my house that is waste, and you run every man to his own house. We want to take care of ourselves instead of taking care of what God wants done. That's why we need to consider our thinking. What does God want done? So he says here, it's time. Well, I think we have come down to the time. Very, very near now when he will start gathering his people. Let's go on and see that. Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from dew. The earth is stayed from her fruit. We're coming into a time now watching the news day by day where there's drought and famine and flooding. One place you got so much drought you can't grow anything, and another place the crops are flooded and they can't harvest. I just saw a little film last night showing part of the Middle West of the United States in the northern part, millions of acres of corn covered up by snow that never got harvested. This is going to hit pretty quick. There's going to be a shortage of food. And there, there are weather patterns all over the world that are destroying crops, not just here. It's everywhere. And the shortages are going to begin to appear very shortly. So God says, not going to rain. The earth isn't going to bring forth her fruit. I called for a drought upon the land and upon the mountains and upon the corn and upon the new wine and upon the oil and upon that which the ground brings forth and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. So right now you're seeing this verse being set up. It's happening right here today as we read. All over the world, tremendous droughts and now floods in parts of Australia. I just saw an article this morning where they had hailstones as wide as a man's hand. Five inches across. It it went right through the roofs of houses. I mean through the roof. Landed on the floor. Car windows not cracked, but broken out. You know, we've seen hail damage on cars with little pecks all over it. No, this is knocking the windows clear out. This is going clear through the roof of the house. There's somebody filming it in their house. Pieces of hail hitting the floor right in front of them and saying, Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, over and over and over again as they ran this video as it was happening. The stuff's getting real, brethren. Watch the volcanoes, watch the earthquakes. They're increasing incredibly. We're here. The setup for verse 11 is almost complete. And we're going to start seeing these shortages. So it is in this context, in this frame of time then, it says in verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Eternal, their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Eternal, their God, had sent him, And the people did fear before the eternal. He said in the end of Zephaniah, don't fear the world. Here they feared God. Now there's the beginning of wisdom. (laughs) Then spake Haggai. Uh, The Lord... I've got so many lines here I can hardly read it. The Lord's messenger in the Lord's message... And the people saying, I am with you, says the Eternal. And the Eternal stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and Joshua and the spirit, uh, and the spirit of the people. And they came and worked in the house of the Eternal of hosts, their God. So he calls out and says, change your thinking, come work for me. And it says then, they did. The remnant of the people gathered together. God says He will stir them to come and work in the temple. So there you have that story again in Isaiah being repeated right here where they were the carpenter was encouraging the silversmith or the whatever, the workmen encouraging each other and building. And this is speaking of the two witnesses, Zerubbabel and Joshua and the remnant that is gathered to them. That's very clear in Zechariah 4 and Revelation 11, who it's speaking of. So, that was in the sixth month of the seventh, second year of Darius. Here in the seventh month, the twentieth day, that's the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, actually, came the word, <coughs> speak to Zerubbabel and Joshua, and to the residue of the people. Residue, remnant, Those who come. Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? How do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? So what is going to be built is going to be so much greater than what we witnessed in worldwide that there's no comparison. I was there the day they took a golden shovel and broke ground on the house of God. As Herbert Armstrong calls it, and it turned into a beautiful, beautiful building. But what's coming here is going to be far beyond what it was. We're going to see here in a moment, down in verse nine, he reiterates this. Well, let's let's go on down there. We'll get there here in just a moment. So he says, "Be strong, leaders." and all you people of the land, and work. For I am with you, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Mitzrim. so my spirit remains among you, fear you not. Now he told them he would take care of them, and he led them through the desert, and he gave them the promised land, didn't he? And he allowed them to take over there, and to live there. So he says, I'm making the same promise to you that I made to them, And you can read that I carried it out, right? It's all in through the Bible, how He delivered them. All through the Psalms, the deliverance at Mithraim is mentioned over and over, and in the New Testament as well. Now, when is this going to happen? Verse 6, For thus says the Eternal of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, And I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. So when this is being done, it's only a little while from when God shakes the earth. Now God has never shaken the earth in terms of the way he is going to shake it in Isaiah 24, in Matthew 24 and 25, in Luke 21, in the book of Revelation. He's never shaken it that way. So this is the end time shaking. This isn't ancient history. This is now. Go to the end of the book. He says that he will make Zerubbabel a signet and at the time when he brings down the world. So this is the time element of the book of Haggai. Right at the end when God shakes the world. Verse 8, The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Eternal of hosts. Now, what did we just read in Isaiah 44 and 45? Into chapter 44, God said He's going to have a Cyrus who will say the temple and Jerusalem must be built. So, someone will have said that. I know, I know someone who said it, and... I also have seen much, much evidence that he is very, very near discovering the hidden treasures of God mentioned in Isaiah 45. And he says that those hidden riches will be used to show the world that God is God from east to west. We read that just recently. Well, here in Haggai, you have the same thing repeated. The silver's mine, the gold is mine, says the eternal of hosts. And some of it will be used in the building of the temple. Far more than Herbert Armstrong used. Now, he gold-gilded a few faucets and things in that house. But God's gold and silver is going to be used in the latter house, in a way that you can't even begin to compare what was before to it. So the same story in Isaiah 44 and 45 is reiterated here. And it's not just gold that you mine out of a mine. Somebody can find a big gold mine, okay? Great big gold mine. And they can start mining lots of gold out of it. Well, that would be impressive to the world. But would it show them who God is? No. Just because you find a lot of gold doesn't prove who God is. It just shows you found a bunch of gold. Now, what's going to prove to them that God is God? I have seen evidence where this gold is that there are the artifacts of the temple, original temple. There are the records, a library of ancient times. There are things in there that are things of God, not just gold. Now, some of them are made of gold and silver, but they're the originals that God made that He has preserved all these years, hidden away, and they're going to come forth and prove that He is God. Now, if you're going to build a temple, those are the things you're going to put in it. And some of this gold and silver may be used as coverings and so on. He says, bring wood and build it, but do you cover it, all that wood, with gold and silver? Probably so. I expect... But the temple of Ezekiel in chapter 40 through 48 is the one this is talking about. And it gives some dimensions and things there in the book of Ezekiel. But if you have different artists draw different pictures of what they think that thing would look like in Ezekiel 41 to 43, they come up with all kinds of different things interpreting what that means. I expect we'll find the original blueprints the God caused to be made. Or he will show somebody a dream and show them the shape it's supposed to be. He will make it known. But the gold of Isaiah 44 and 45 and the silver is God's gold. And it will be shown around the world that he is God. And he says it again, The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, says the eternal of hosts, And in this place will I give peace, says the Eternal of hosts. There's been no peace in the church for the most part in decades. And here God will bring peace. He'll get rid of the enemies and bring peace. It will be greater than what we experienced before. There'll still be some of us old men around who saw what was and there will be no comparison with what then is. Then he has a discussion here about whether you can be holy and touch the unclean, or whether you can be unclean and touch the holy. And he says we've got to be clean. Well, what does it say in Isaiah 52, the last, oh, about the third from the last verse in Isaiah 52? Be you clean that bear the vessels of the eternal. So the vessels of the eternal are included in this. Now you had to be clean. The priests had to cleanse themselves before going into the temple. (coughs) And when Aaron went in once a year into the Holy of Holies, he had to be cleansed. He had to wear just the right garments. Everything had to be right. So when he tells us we're going to bear the vessels of the eternal, he's telling us right there that that gold and silver of Isaiah 45 and 52 is to be born by his people. And that they are to be holy and not unclean. He makes that point right here in the book of Haggai, that we must be clean. And he says he's looked and everything we've been offering has been unclean. So he wants us to repent and become holy. He says at the end of chapter 45, their righteousness will be of me. That's I say 45? I meant for 54. Last verse of chapter 54 of Isaiah. It won't be our self-righteousness. It won't be our filthy, dirty, mock-righteousness. With the righteousness of God. So be clean. Uh, it says, In those days, then, in verse 16, when one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. In other words, a drought, a famine. I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hail and all the labors of your hands, yet you turn not to me, says the Eternal. When we got spewed out in the 90s, Did the church turn to God? No. It continued on the way it was. They kept trying to do the work of God the way that they had come to understand they thought it should be done under Worldwide. And everybody accused everybody else of being Laodiceans, and they were the only Philadelphians there were. So they stood up in self-righteousness almost to a man and blamed everybody but themselves. Now, I've been preaching now for over 23 years that we are to take the blame. We got scattered too. We were Laodiceans. I hope we're reforming. I hope we're overcoming. I hope we're changing. I hope we're overcoming that so that we can be part of the holy people that God can use to build his latter temple. And he says he will call out 10% a residue, a remnant, to do that. His tithe. His tithe is holy money. His tithe of His people are holy people. We have a standard to live up to in order to qualify to build the temple of God. And He called you and me here as part of chapter 40 of Isaiah moving forward to prepare a way and a place for the people to come and build that temple. And they're going to be coming soon. Verse 15. Uh, No, 15 isn't what I want here. He said, He smote us with blasting and mildew. We've had a, as Amos 8 put it, a uh, famine of the word. Nobody knew. And hardly anyone to this day knows this story. They'll read over it, but they don't get it. They don't understand what has to be done. They all say, is it time to build a temple? Yes, it is. The time is upon us. We're at the time just before the world is shaken. We're at the time when it's Almost time to flee before the northern army, as Jeremiah 50 says, saying, how do I get to Zion? The northern army is assembling today in Mexico, in Canada, within the United States and other places to destroy this nation. China, Russia, all have troops in the United States. Chinese troops are massing in Mexico. There's some in Canada. It's upon us. It's here. There in Jeremiah, it also says there will come a time when there will be civil war. Rumor will come and then violence in the land, ruler against ruler. Right now, today, they're threatening violence in Washington D.C., ruler against ruler. Are they not? It's here. And pretty soon they're going to start killing each other. Not going to be long. And we're going to have civil war. It's time. So through all this spiritual famine we've had, he says, verse 18, consider now from this day and forward... From the 24th day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Eternal's temple was laid, consider it. (coughs) I don't know exactly what 924 means, but very soon now, this scripture is going to mean something very, very important. Now, what does he say about it? Consider from this day and forward, Is the seed yet in the barn? As yet the vine and the fig tree and the palm granite and the olive tree has not brought forth, from this day will I bless you. In other words, some fruits are going to begin to be shown from 9.24 forward. Did we not just read that at the end of the book of Habakkuk, where he said essentially the same thing, that the, the trees haven't produced, the things haven't happened, but I'm going to sit and wait for God to deliver. And he said that the just will live by faith. So here we see that repeated at the end of the book of Haggai. But this time is near. And the 9th and 24th, which this year is uh, the 20th of December. uh, I don't know whether it means anything this year or not, but we shall see. I think that it might be about next year, but I don't know that. It could be something this year. But the 6th month and the 7th month, if these dates mean anything, in Haggai, uh, the 6th month is about August, 7th month is in October, uh, feast time, and then the ninth and 24th is late in December generally. (coughs) So, (coughs) I'll lay out for you a possible scenario of the timing of this at the end. I don't want to get into it today. But from this day will I bless you. Now, he says that he'll give us the former and the latter rains in the first month, which I take to mean uh, April. Uh, it could mean January because many, many, many things have occurred in the end-time church, both bad and good, in January. So it's the first day of the Gregorian calendar, but the first day of God's calendar, or the first month, is generally in April. And I think that that's what he's talking about because there in Isaiah 53, which we just read, uh, it shows Christ being the Passover and that the people would come right after the Passover to spread your tents and make room for all these people to come. So I think that that tremendous blessing of the first month will probably be uh, in God's first month in April at Passover time. What this is talking about, we shall see. But all the blessings don't begin and come at the same time. That's the point. Some of it comes in the first month. This comes in the ninth month. So it's varying types of blessings. And we'll see when it fits. So then the word came once more to Haggai... Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth. So we've got the temple being built here, and it's a little while, he said earlier, and here he says, I will shake the heavens and the earth. He's removed the little while. After the temple is built, time is about up, and he'll start shaking things. I'll overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses, the war materials of the world. In that day, says the Eternal of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, says the Eternal, and make you as a signet, for I have chosen you, says the Eternal of hosts. So he's going to make Zerubbabel, the leader of the two, a signet, a flag, a sign to the world. So the temple is built and then at the time the things begin to shake, truly shake, bell is going to be put out there as a signet or with the flag of God, if you will. Not the flag of a nation. And we read about that in uh, Isaiah just recently as well. How he, a man from the north would come from the east and God would make him a signet before the world. So it's Getting specific here in Haggai, I'm almost out of time. I was going to go into Zechariah, maybe just a short bit here, because Zechariah begins in the middle of Haggai. Haggai was writing his book, and then Zechariah started writing the book of Zechariah while Haggai was writing his book. So they're tied together in time there, and overlap. Let's pick up just a little bit of it here. Uh, verse 2 says, The Eternal has been sore displeased. Well, first of all, it says it's in the eighth month in the second year of Darius. Well, Haggai was written in the, started being written in the sixth month of the second year of Darius. So this started two months after Haggai started writing his And he says, God has been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say you unto them, thus says the Eternal of hosts, Turn you to me, says the Eternal of hosts, and I will turn to you, says the Eternal of hosts. Now, this is an end-time prophecy speaking of the end-time church. And he was sorely displeased with us. So what did he do? He spewed us out of his mouth. You're pretty sorely displeased with dinner when you decide to upchuck it, right? So he was not happy with the way worldwide is. Now he says a little later in this same chapter, he was somewhat displeased and then the heathen came in and he got really displeased. So it got worse once the Tkachas took over and their ilk. So he's giving us some advice here to turn to him Be not as those who preceded. Whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus says the Eternal of hosts, Turn you now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear, nor hearken to me, says the Eternal. (laughs) So whether you go back to worldwide, or whether you go all the way back to ancient Israel, They denied the things the prophets said. Always. They killed and stoned the prophets. They killed and stoned the apostles. They're going to kill the two witnesses. They're going to kill 90% of the church in the tribulation. 90% of the church are going to be killed, martyred in the tribulation. So he said, don't be like them. They did not hear, nor hearken to me, says the Eternal. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? No, they're gone. What about those who were raised up worldwide? They're dead, they're gone. We didn't listen when Herbert Armstrong said, I don't think you're getting it. We weren't. (laughs) We thought we were, but we weren't. And God had to spew us out. And now I hope we're doing some true repentance. But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? Were those words in vain? Or did God tell them what was going to happen and did it not happen? The days of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and the others. And they returned and said, like as the Lord of hosts thought to do to us, according to our ways and according to our doings, So has he dealt with us. We used to read Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel and apply it to this nation. Herbert Armstrong applied it to the physical nation and said we would be taken into captivity, famine and pestilence, and destroyed. Little did he realize that the message was to the church first and the nation second. So he never saw it coming. He feared it, because he felt like he was the only thing keeping it from falling apart. And indeed, as soon as he died, or was killed, it did fall apart. Upon the four and twentieth day of the eleventh month, there was another message that came to, uh, that he only wrote a little bit, and then he wrote some more, just like Haggai did. And I won't get into that because it will take too long and uh, we need to wait until next week. But I wanted to at least touch on chapter 1, that we need to be paying attention both to all the prophets which were written for today. Did not Paul say all these scriptures are written for those of us upon whom the ends of the age have come? Aren't they end time prophecies about now? Didn't Herbert Armstrong even say the Bible was written for the church? Not for the world. It was written for the church. The world denies the Bible, denying nearly everything it says. It was written for the church. So all these things in here are written for you and me, upon whom the ends of the world have truly now come. They didn't come on Paul. They came on us and we're beginning to live them. We've lived the scattering. We've lived Ezekiel 5 of a spiritual famine and pestilence and sword, which has devastated the church. That's ancient history now. That's fulfilled prophecy now. We're today on the verge of the comforting words. We've gone through this devastation spiritually and famine of the Word. You are now being taught a message of comfort and hope. Isn't that what we were reading today in Isaiah that we've been doing for some weeks now and picked up in Haggai, I mean not in Haggai, but in Nahum, in Habakkuk, in Zephaniah, and now here in Haggai when he's going to return blessings. So the message is there, but nobody understands it. The rest of the church still thinks all this is talking about the millennium, and indeed it is in a bigger sense later on, but it's to the church first. To you will come the first dominion, Micah says. Then the dominion will spread to the whole earth when Christ returns to set up his kingdom on this earth. I've been trying to tell you for years God is going to set up a microcosm of the kingdom of God here at the end time with Him here dwelling with us, the two witnesses leading it in the remnant 10% of the church coming to build the temple. And indeed, that's what we read in that context in Isaiah. This will be Osiris who says, The temple shall be built and Jerusalem shall be built. And then God provides what is needed to do it. The gold and the silver and the vessels of the temple and everything that is required that will show the world that God is God. And there is none other. A gold mine will not suffice. It has to have the vessels of God. To prove the Old Testament and everything that you and I believe is true and that there is a real, living, eternal God who buried these things a long time ago and brings them out to be used in the latter temple. You know what the world's going to do? They're going to covet it. The beast and the false prophet are going to see it, and they're going to want it, because they want to be seen as God. That's another continuation of the story. We'll get to that. But they're going to see the whole world that God is God and reject Him. We already know that. Accept Him. Obey Him. Let's become clean that bear the vessels of the eternal because it's prophesied that just before the real shaking begins, somebody has to build a temple and it has to be a remnant of God's people out in the wilderness where Zion and Jerusalem are. And it's right out here. This is where it has to be done. This is the only place that this message is even coming from. No one else. We read that in Isaiah. He says, none of them understand it, but where I revealed it. And revealed it so we would come here because this is the place. And we is the people. And there's going to be many, many people join us. 10% of what was to do the job that has to be done. Suffice it for today.